Welcome to episode 21. Today we speak with President and CEO of Athletes Collective, Adam Mintz. Uh, we talk about his uh, background in marketing and agency life, uh, his desire to start his own business, and the various uh, trials and tribulations uh, such as uh, splitting up with a business partner, a Kickstarter campaign failing, and so much more. Hope you enjoy the conversation. Thank you for joining us. Live from Pacific Junction Hotel, Girth Radio in session. enough so that, w- that would be too much yeah excellent um well hopefully the weather gets better yeah I'm sure be yeah fine. are you going to the nba no i start? i'm staying as far away from that area as possible it's gonna be first of all it's freezing this weekend i'm gonna watch it all on tv it is so cold but it's freezing so i'm like i'm not gonna go down there if i go on king street I'm not gonna be able to get in anywhere it's gonna be a zoo yeah it's just it's too cold to go out this weekend I'm like it's every a lot of my friends are gone so i'm gonna take it easy this weekend is there anything that you that you guys are doing like through your your company that, For, that you're doing around like I don't know even, no, not even not close. at all where I took a firm it's too loud stand. I guess it's it's you, too busy too noisy too much noise too much it's I took a very firm stance this year for not sponsoring events. I'm not going to try because, first of all, you have to have so much money to make any dent in an yeah. event like that. And we're not sports specific. We're not a sports specific company. We, you can play basketball on our stuff. It's not a big deal. Yeah. But we, uh, I have nothing to do with that because there's just it's there's too much noise. There's, there's I hear no, you. Not going to get through. I hear you. So and it's completely against the strategy. So. Cool. So for those who don't know, you're the president and CEO. Yeah. Of Athletes Collective. Um. What What is that? Because you know when you say collective, okay, is that is that like a broken social scene? They're a music collective. I mean, it was <laughs> it, it was it, honestly it was a uh, it, it started out in its the in its simplest form. Me and my former partner Charlie, who I'm still great friends with. Yeah. Um, we honestly one of the things we wanted to do is kind of wanted to put our initials in it. That was the first kind of thing. So like A and C, so okay. Adam Charlie. So that was part of it. But we're like. What are we? Is it one name? Is it you know? What are we about? We're four athletes, yeah. And that's one thing we we tried to be, because of the concept of this being unbranded, is athletes collective. It's it's as kind of simple as it gets. With like it's literally a collection of athletes who think the same way, okay. who are part of what we're trying to do. So athlete collectively, athletes are this way. They are. Rec league athletes, they're you know uh, they work out three days a week. Yeah. They uh, you know their fathers have got three kids, two kids, and they run once a week or they play rec league sports once a week. And it was just this idea of it was very simple, inclusive. That was really that's uh, the simplest way. Yeah. It's meant to be very inclusive. So this is not the Jordan brand you're trying to put together. No, this yeah. is it's it's quite the opposite actually. I mean, we're not we're in order to create that. You've got to really have the funds to go after those kinds of athletes, to go after pro athletes. Yeah. And we're, we're like, you know, we, we need, let's create something that's for everybody. That's for all kinds of male athletes who want to do this. That was the original idea yeah. was we're for every athlete and this was going to be our position. Okay. Um, and then 
it evolved into what's the strongest position we can take. And we basically said, um, you know, are we the best fit out there? No, we're a great fit. We took eight months to create one T-shirt. But are we the best? No, because you can get Nike, Under Armour, Adidas, or any of the big brands. They've got great fit, too. So we're probably not the best fit, but we're really good. Are we the best price? Are we the lowest price? Can we do it on price? No, because you can get, you know, the fast fashion yeah. athletic brands that are kind of poor, that are pretty poor quality. So we're not the lowest. We're lower than the um, than the big guys, mm-hmm. but we're not the lowest. So, so what are what's the strongest thing that we have to push? And it was this idea of we are unbranded. We have a logo that we use for promotional purposes, and we have yeah. a brand, but we don't put our logo on anything. And when I looked at the market, no one does this. And that was the strongest thing that we said, you know, we're going to either do this no logo thing. Cause we, cause when we got our logo from our designer, like, Oh, the logo is really cool. And we started putting mock-ups of what would it look like on the, on, on, the, the, t-shirt. on the t-shirts and it looked really cool. And everyone's like, Oh, really like your logo. I would wear your logo. I'm like it, it goes against, we're either going to do this really? or we're not, or we're going to be, you know, so no one was, and if you look at what the market is doing right now, they're going completely the opposite of where, let's say, casual fashion is going. Mm-hmm. Casual fashion is going much less branded than it ever has been. If you look at what the 90s were in the early 2000s, you know, Tommy Hilfiger. Yeah. Um, especially that was another one. Or someone like Diesel. Everything was huge brands on the clothes, on your casual wear. If you yeah. go to a bar right now, a casual bar – or if you go to work, most people don't wear big logos. No. They're very anti-logo, in fact. And if you are wearing a logo or a pattern, in just in casual wear, you'll notice most people, either either it's really, really subtle. Because if you're wearing a big logo, it will be like, oh, you're a, excuse the language, brand whore. Like, oh, sure. look at you, you're wearing, or you got a Gucci belt on, Big G or, you know, Hermes, whatever that might be. But if you look at sportswear, it's gone the complete opposite direction bigger brands than ever before. Mm-hmm. And they use that, and understandably so, to kind of make it make you kind of a tribe member of their brand. Yeah. So you've got that logo across your chest, Nike, Under Armour, Adidas, Adidas to a lesser extent. Now they're actually going more less they're going more minimal branding, less with the street three stripes. But if you look at the two biggest, the Nike and Under Armour, bigger brands than ever before, you cannot go into a sport check, sporting yeah. life, any big sporting store and buy sports apparel for guys more so guys than girls without having a logo a logo on it yeah the swoosh or the sort of UA. it doesn't exist and and i get it so we i basically said you know what i think there's a lot of athletes out there who want what i want Mm -hmm. which is i don't really want to wear as many brands as i used to yeah so curious like that's very interesting And, and on my way here um, you know, I was, I was talking to a couple of people down at uh, near Young and Queen, and I think there's a Jordan store, and I don't know if it's a pop-up store or not, um, but there's a Jordan store that opened up, um, and there were lineups outside, and I got to thinking, I'm, I'm coming to speak with you, and, and one of the things about your line is that there's no there's no logo on, on the clothing that, that people see. Uh, and, and I'm curious, because I, I was wondering, you know, is it is, is the logo sometimes what people... By you know you mentioned you know wanting to belong to a tribe, um, and you know without loudly proclaiming it you know if you wear uh, Nike shoes or a Nike jersey um, or Under Armour as you said you know people see that and there's there's some sort of a status that you get by being a member of that tribe or wearing 
you know, clothing with that label on. And I'm, I'm wondering if you ever gave that thought or what you guys thought about, you know, if we take the label off and it's not there, is there, is it, do we lose that desire that people are going to have for our product? I mean, it, yes and no. I'd say yes, because you're, you're, I don't want to say discounting, but it means you're not going after people who want to be a member of those tribes. And if you look at, we, we looked at, we looked at it really from who is the consumer we're going after. Hmm. And that's, that was the most important thing that led to the unbranding uh, aside from personally. And I'll tell the story of, of, of when it came about. I'll tell that later, but yeah. yeah, when you go to the Jordan brand, yeah, it's a tribe. It's a status. Symbol. that was the best word you could have used, which is a status symbol. Why do people yeah. want the Jordan, you know, the Jordan 11s, the patent leather? I think it was the Jordan 11s. Sneakerheads can get really mad at me if I say it wrong. <laughs> but the patent leather ones that are now $400 on the reseller market, it's a status symbol. You've got those Jordans. You have the Jordan 1s in, you know, burnt orange. Oh, you can't get those anywhere. They only made 5,000 of them across the world. It's a status symbol. And I do get that because yeah. – I mean, from personally, so I'm a, I play a lot of tennis, and I've been a huge Rafael Nadal fan for a long time since like 2006, since he really hit the scene 2005. And I used to want all the old Nadal sleeveless shirts that had Nike and all of his stuff. So when I played tennis, oh, you got the, I had, I felt like I played like Nadal. Yeah. Maybe less of a status symbol, but sure. I loved his look. I liked what Nike was all about. But yeah, it's the, 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 to get back to my original point. Yeah, we gave it some thought as to, oh, do we lose the status? And well, then we thought about who is our target market? Who did we make this company for? And we made it for ourselves first and foremost. We were, it was 30 mm. years old when, I, when we came up with this idea. You know, I just wanted a shirt that broke up all the brands. Like, I wanted a ba- I wore So if I wore Nike shoes and Nike socks and Nike shorts and a Nike headband, okay, I felt kind of silly wearing all Nike. So what if I just had a basic tee? that broke from a fashion standpoint, broke up all of the branding, but I couldn't find that in a tech shirt. I could find H and M shirt. No problem. Yeah, yeah. But I couldn't find the texture that fit well, that really did it properly. So we, we realized that the status symbol for our target market didn't matter. That's the biggest thing. It's the reason look at the biggest brands, look at their ads, look at the people who are lining outside of the of the store the Jordan store the Nike ID store yeah and i promise you you're not going to find a single very you'll find a small percentage that's over the age of 35 yeah the, yeah you, that's all right probably post the people that are lining up 13 years old if they're really young to 20 or th- to 20 25 30 years old max yeah max yeah and those are the people who care it's re- i don't I'm not tar- like I don't we don't make kids clothes and it's the most and it's the smartest thing that the biggest brands are doing they're highly targeting kids now with you know Steph Curry with what he's doing mm-hmm. everyone lo- all these kids love Steph Curry yeah. now so they're they're under armor fanatics now my nephews who are 7 my brother buys them uh you know under armor my brother wears my stuff cuz he's a 37 year old uh, dad of two yeah He's my market, but his kids wear Under Armour. The kids love Under Armour. Yeah. And I've seen his friends, and they all have Under Armour, too, and it's really cute. Yeah. But my market, the 30-plus athlete who plays rec league basketball or rec league hockey or plays tennis once a week, they don't care about status symbols when they're playing sports anymore. That's the biggest difference, and that's why we that's why it was an easy decision Interesting. to make and finding that people who are buying who skew that age don't care as much about 
the status, the logo on their chest because they know it doesn't really make them play any better. Yeah. It's like, oh, this fits really well. Price is right. Great. I'll grab four. Sure. And that's what like, – like a lot of these guys, they'll do that. You can't do that as much with an Under Armour shirt. It's a $40, $50 shirt. You get the one. <laughs> you get the one. You like it. And I get it. I still have friends who are my age that say I'm – like I told them, oh, there's this golf sale and, uh, you know, it's Puma and it's this brand. This is my friends like, ah, uh, it's only – I'm a Nike guy. Mm. Like, And I laugh. I go, okay, Tiger Woods. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like Rory McIlroy. Yeah. But people still think that way. But most people when they're working out, playing sports – they don't really care. The difference is it just doesn't – they don't know that it exists. So now it exists with Athletes Collective, but you can't really find it otherwise. But I'm finding when I tell people the concept, especially you know, my brother's age, yeah. the, 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 the dads, the 37-year-old guys and up, they go, oh, wow, that's awesome. That's it's exactly what I'm looking for because it's it's kind of presenting that a problem that they don't really know exists, but when they realize they go, Yeah, you're right. I can't find it. So Yeah, that makes total sense. Sometimes you go out, you know, with, with the label on you go, I kinda look silly. I, I think I grew out of that. And that's you know? what it is. It's yeah. athletes that have grown out of yeah. wanting want, to be wanting to be Tiger or Michael and so Exactly. On. Yeah. That's and that's yeah. the biggest thing. Like I said, the Jordan brand. I, I promise you, everyone who's out there, you'll find very few people who are over the age of thirty in I that line. Do you do you have a background in in fashion or sports marketing or anything like that? Um, not really in sports marketing, but in uh, in fashion, yeah. So okay. I worked for uh, uh, for Diesel Canada. I was a brand manager ah. um, for a couple of years. And okay. I was an intern um, for for a semester of college, one of my last semesters of college, and I was an undergrad. And so I started. In, I did have a fashion background. Okay. I had a knack for it, but it wasn't the kind of fashion that was really for me i liked it yeah a little too much attitude i found a lot of people that i felt were like don't you know who i think i am and there's, <laughs> there's a lot of ego and i didn't really have that so but, but i really did like it what did you learn from your time there at diesel um that has really helped you or sort of helped you figure out stuff with athletes collective oh uh that's a good question um is is i think more than anything else is understanding who your target market is and okay. who it isn't. And that's yeah. what one of the things and being very, um, uh, you know, true to who your brand is and not deviating from that and, and, and just really understanding that. So one of the things that Diesel did um, is they are highly selective with where their clothes are distributed. Okay. We would get calls every day and as salespeople reject people who would come to us say your store is not good enough for Diesel. And not because they're so elitist, but they knew that it would dilute the brand. They're so they were so it may, they were so concerned with who was wearing their clothes. You know, people would call us. Oh, we want to do we want to do sales in this area, warehouse sales. And uh, I think they did one, but they they didn't really they didn't do it again because they were really worried about certain people wearing their brand. They didn't want to discount it. And Interesting. It was, yeah. So. It was, and so, but they knew who their target was. They knew how to really control what their brand was all about. And they, they literally, like, I, we would go to um, global diesel meetings in, you know, Italy and Greece, and they'd sit, sit you down and go, okay, when you're selling diesel, you're only selling to cool people. They'd say movers and shakers, good looking people, you know, this is the kind of people we want in our clothes. And then if there's a residual effect to other people who might want to be that, great. But they were very adamant. It's quite a quite a thing to hear a company say really? sell to cool people. And it's and it's you know they're but they're very they knew who their brand was. You know they're they're the kind. I mean you saw the Lululemon controversy when when people were mm. were upset that it didn't fit everyone. Yeah. And 
while that is the case, they they know who their brand is and they know and 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 they're staying with it. Whether or not that'll work in the long run, we'll see. Yeah. But you know, that's it's really staying true to who your brand is and and who you're going after. And now I have a much better sense of who that is, or at least the attitude. I try as much as I talk about this is the age group. Yeah. It's a lot of it is more where are you in your athletic career as a guy? Exactly. Yeah. Are you serious about making the big leagues or are, are you resigned that you're in the beer leagues? Exactly. Yeah. And I always say that, yeah, you could be resigned to your beer league, but the way I kind of describe the attitude of who I think, who I think I'm going after, or who I believe my target is, it's guys who don't take themselves seriously, but are still serious about sports. I mean, yeah. if you ever play in a rec league, you, it might as well be the World Series if you're playing in a softball league or the NBA championships, because people take those games seriously. Sure. These are not, there are fun co-ed leagues and people don't take those seriously. And when people do, they think, oh, what's wrong with you? When you play in a guy's rec league, it's dead serious. Yeah. No, so, I've, I've done that. And yeah, absolutely. Um, what... What was happening, I guess, in your professional career um, a few years ago that s- sort of pushed you to to go full-time in, into business for yourself? It's something I've been wanting to do for a long time. Yeah? I've, so you've always wanted to run your own business? I've always wanted to run my own business ever since I had my first boss that I didn't like. <laughs> <laughs> That's it's, it's as simple as that. Yeah? Um, and is this your first go-around? No, I've own? I've written business plans for other businesses that I've tried to start up okay. that that didn't work because it was the wrong partner or you know I didn't have the funds to do it or I was in the wrong place in my life. You know, I've I've I tried to do a clothing line about 5 years ago with someone and they were doing custom athletic wear for teams and promo gear and and it wasn't the right quality and that didn't work and so it kind of it I I ended up doing it again with my partner. We actually said, hey, what was the idea that you had? And do you think we could maybe do it again? And we're like, yeah, well, let's try to give this a go. So, yeah, I tried to do it, but yeah. never. this is the furthest I've ever taken it. That's amazing. So, I mean, it was a year and a half Athletes Collective on the side. Okay. And then it became my full-time job since October of 2015. Oh, so very recent. Yeah, very recent has it been full-time. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, that's very interesting. I, I can get the sort of moonlighting. You know, you work 9 to 5, and then 5 to 9, you're hustling. Um, what what was the point where you said, I, I think I can do this full-time now? Was it sort of the business needed you to be full-time? Was there uh, enough sort of income coming in on that side business now that could it be your full-time business? What was that? I think it was, you know, after we did, uh, we uh, we can get into this, uh, you yeah. know, we did the Kickstarter campaign this past summer, mm-hmm. in two thousand summer 2015, and saw interest, and then... I properly ran the numbers on who on on how much money we spent on marketing versus how much money we actually made, and the ratio was pretty good. And I thought, like, you know what? I really think there's a market for this. And we were getting comments back from people go, you know, finally this exists. Wow. Like this doesn't. And and we're I was getting feedback. I said I think this is something that I can really do. I think there's a market for it. And I was able to convince. A private investor to 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 back me, yeah, and and to really and, and to go forward with it. It just needed, you know, when we presented the actual uh, potential collection to people on Kickstarter, they said, "Oh yeah, I'll take three long sleeve, you know, one short sleeve, one sleeve. This this is great. This is you know, this is what we want." And so we were getting hits from all around the world, and people go, "Oh, oh wow. this is really good. This is something that really should be in the market." And I said, "Yeah, this is." I, I said, "I'm either going to take the chance now, or I'm never going to do it." So that's awesome. I want to talk about Kickstarter, but 
Let's go a little bit before in terms of maybe the conversation you and Charlie, right? Charlie, yeah. You and Charlie had that you said, okay, let's start this thing. What was that conversation about? You know, what were you guys wanting to do? I know you always wanted to, um, you know, have your own business. You had a background in fashion. Um, you know, what was Charlie's background at the same time? Charlie's background uh, is a lawyer by trade. Okay. He was doing quite well for himself as a lawyer in New York. And he didn't like it. I don't think he liked the corporate world. Then he got into the food business oh. uh, in New York. I think he did a few pop-up restaurants. Interesting. Charlie's always been one of the smartest guys I knew growing up in in elementary and high school. Yeah. And he just and and he's always had that mind that he wanted to do something for himself as well. So it was I I had come to a point where I wanted in in terms of how did the idea come about? Is I like I said before I was wearing head to toe Nike playing tennis, and then I wanted something just to break up all the logos and Charlie had the same I, when I told him that he goes yeah that's a pretty uh, I'm kind of the same way I get what you're what you're saying like do you think you would rehash the idea that you did a few years ago I said yeah I would but I wouldn't do what I did before because the idea that I did before with the promo game or you know uh, custom f- sportswear was really complicated the one thing I learned from that is that people don't want custom sportswear <laughs> Is that mm. it's really complicated, and when you tell people, "Oh, I can change your the sleeve from one inch to two inches longer," like it's too complicated. Just give me something I can buy. I said, "Let's create a really good shirt. Let's create the one really good tee that people can work out and play tennis, play hockey, play basketball in. That's kind of universal. Let's make that perfect athletic tee for everybody. Yeah, and let's make it at a cheaper price, and let's not put a logo on it. Something that's basic. And so we spent. I don't know, first four, uh, four months doing samples. We found manufacturers all around Toronto. We found fabric suppliers, and we tested different fabrics and different fits um, and uh, tested them on our friends until we finally had something we liked. We said it was a very brief conversation, like, do you want to do this? Let's let's do this. Let, let's make a business. Let's, let's, wow. let's make a site. Let's do this properly. We'll make a plan. It was a very rudimentary plan, but we wanted to just get it out there, and so so that's basically how it happened. Yeah, you you, you talk about sourcing suppliers. I, I think I read in uh, a recent Toronto Star article that you you still have local suppliers. Yeah, still still manufacturing Canada. Yeah, and now is that important to you? Is is that just because it's close that it's easier to deal with? It was convenient. It, it was more so. I'd like to say that it was. We really believe in Canadian manufacturing. Yeah, and it's great. We listen. If I can support Canadian manufacturing, I always like to buy made in Canada. It was it was a lot about convenience. To be okay. perfectly honest, it going overseas requires a much more heavy investment mm-hmm. and a lot more time. By working with local manufacturers, they can do samples for us in a few weeks' time. We can talk to them in person. We can tell them exactly what we want. We can show them what we want, and we can talk to them on a daily basis. When you're doing stuff overseas, the it, it, it can be it's very difficult to do it properly. It's almost a six month process. Here, we're able to source manufacturers really quickly yeah. and see what we liked and do the runs. You know, it takes them a month to make you know four hundred shirts or so. And so, but if we went to if we went overseas. It may take that same month, but the quality control, we don't know what's going on. We can't go over there and talk to them and see what's going on. And so if we keep it in Canada, everything's at our fingertips, basically. Yeah, interesting. Um, That decision to go to Kickstarter and and raise awareness, raise funds, um, how did you get to that point? We got to the point. Was it because uh, everyone was doing things on Kickstarter, it seemed? It was, that was part of it. Yeah. The real decision was we were a year into the business. Yeah. And it, 
we started really treating it like a side project, which is what it was originally. Sure. But it really started falling off the wayside. I think we had a few thousand dollars left of the bank account. We weren't promoting this thing heavily. We weren't treating it like a proper business. A lot of things were going on in our respective lives with the jobs that we were working and are we doing this or we're not or this? And we basically had a conversation over coffee and we said, okay, we're either going to try to do this properly and we're trying to get some funds to build out the line or we're done with this. Yeah. Or we'll take our respective few thousand dollars, put it in our own accounts and that's it. So we made a decision like, okay, let's try Kickstarter. Let's, let's do this. Let's see if we can get funds from there because we certainly didn't have enough clout or much of a business plan or – really proof that this could be a real business to go to an investor and give us money. Mm-hmm. It, it would have been impossible. So let's see if we can do this on Kickstarter. And that's that was the conversation that was had. Like, we're either going to do this or we're not. And Kickstarter is going to cost X amount of thousands of dollars to do it since we don't have the technical chops. We'd have to hire people to do the video. We'd have to do yeah. photographers and uh, and see how we can do this. And that's that's what prompted us to do Kickstarter. Yeah. I don't know if this is a question you're, you're able to answer, but – in terms of, I guess, investment, you know, to, to hire people to make the video and so on and so forth, like what was that cost outlay for you guys? The cost outlay, the way we did it is I think we spent in total about $2,700 okay. to do it. Yeah. And So you yeah, took all the cash that you guys basically had? Basically took all the cash that we had and said, let's just, let's see if we can do this. Yeah. That's 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 how much that's how much we spent. Interesting. And was there was there a lot of planning involved, like beforehand? What was What was that like? Because, you know, sometimes it's like people say, let me just throw something up on, on, on Kickstarter. Like, did you guys study yeah. other successful campaigns? Yeah, so we spent, uh, we spent quite a bit of time looking at other campaigns similar to our product and what other products had done. Mm-hmm. And we, we really we studied the videos. We studied the messaging. We studied the format, how it works. I talked to a few people who, were, uh, who had done Kickstarter campaigns before, and they were very much – sorry. And, and they had told me – you know, if you're doing this, you really have to plan in advance. You have to call people that you know and tell them you're doing the Kickstarter so that they, so that they, uh, so that they uh, pledge right away because those first few days are very crucial. Mm-hmm. We didn't realize how crucial they actually were until we started. Um, but but yeah, we, we we did a lot of planning. I sourced a videographer, someone I knew. I sourced a designer who's who's now actually my my designer on retainer, um, and and we went ahead and did it. We spent. A lot of time on the Kickstarter campaign page and video and all of the copy that we wrote. And we didn't spend nearly enough time on the promotion of it. Of the campaign itself. Of the campaign. Ah, interesting. So I think I read somewhere you were looking to raise $30,000. How long was it supposed to be? A month? A month. A month long. And how much did you raise? I think we raised $12,500. So talk to me about those 30 days. It must have been like the longest 30 days it, yeah, of was, your... It was really... Yeah, it, it was really... Uh, it, it was a long 30 days, especially after how much... I think we put two months of full-time work into doing this. And we had... The, the biggest issue, I'd say, is we um, we didn't really understand... We, we thought we understood Kickstarter, but we weren't Kickstarter people. Mm. And that's a very different kind of thing. So what does the, that mean? It means there are people who put products on Kickstarter who that's basically their job and they understand how the Kickstarter um, consumer works. We thought our biggest misconception with Kickstarter, and this is the, the 30 days, I, I should probably answer your first question, the 30 days and how it went yeah, yeah. before I get into this. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, no worries. The 30 days started, you know, we put it up and we got pledges right away. Yeah. First few days and then it just died down. Wow. And then after f- uh, four or five days, 
we weren't getting a steady stream and we got some press on some very small blogs that other Kickstarter campaigns had gotten press off of, but it didn't really translate into more pledges. We, we, we actually got our first article in the Toronto Star about 15 days into the campaign, which generated a massive amount of traffic to our website, but we were trying to raise money for the campaign, so we directed all of that traffic to the campaign, and it generated two pledges. Oh, my God. From 1,000 people. Because the people who read the Toronto Star don't really, to generalize, didn't really know what Kickstarter was. Yeah. And they weren't Kickstarter consumers. Sure. You know, and there's a, there really is a, and what we failed to really understand is how a Kickstarter consumer works, mm-hmm. why they buy, and who they buy from. Yeah. So that was, so like first five days, it's busy. Then it tails off. We get a bit of a spike with the article. We get traffic. And then that leads to a little bit more press from a few local bloggers who we sent uh, press packs out to. Yeah. And we sent actual shirts to, which mm-hmm. we kind of did very sporadically. That was, like I said, we planned a lot for the page, but we didn't plan enough for the promotion. So we started sending press packs out way too late. And then it died down. It died down. We did some cross promotions, which helped. With with a guy on Kickstarter who just liked our product and said, hey, I've done this before. Yeah. I could send some traffic your way. He sent some traffic, and then it just flatlined. Wow. Yeah. So it was a very – it was slightly depressing, um, but, it, but, but it did generate some interest. I mean there's a lot of lessons learned from it, which is if you're going to do Kickstarter, make sure your product is right for Kickstarter. I think one of the biggest – the other biggest things is that our product wasn't right for Kickstarter. In terms of clothing or fashion? In terms of we didn't have that kitschy hook. If you look at a lot of the clothing stuff that's on Kickstarter – Yeah. But we'll go from clothing first. Sure. Which is a lot of textures like the greatest texture ever made. It will never make you sweat. It'll wick away <laughs> water like it's a water-repellent shirt. Greatest – and you – Almost have to claim that, and people go, "Oh my god!" I'll, I'll I need st- to get this. I need to get this, or all, or, or it looks like the coolest thing. And then you later, if you research these companies, it turns out they they couldn't manufacture the amount, and then they messed people up, and they didn't end up fulfilling orders. Yeah, it was almost a scam. Our product was at the core; it's fairly basic. The concept is basic, and for Kickstarter, it was probably too basic. Mm. If you look at a lot of the, you are claiming to be the best. We were claiming to be first. Exactly, right? we were saying yeah, we were the, we were claiming the world's only unbranded sportswear, which I believe is still true. Yeah, but we weren't this high tech company mm. that was creating the greatest thing ever. And if you look at a lot of the gadgets that are on Kickstarter, or a lot of even there, there's a a, a travel jacket which has. A hundred pockets. Which, I funded that one. Which yeah. had two million people yeah. give them money. And we're, we're just, how is this? Because it was a very unique kind of kitschy jacket, something that if you saw in a store, you would never buy. But Kickstarter funders yeah. looked at it and said, wow, this is cool. And then press picked it up because they were like, oh. And P- press didn't pick it up because it's the coolest jacket. They picked it up because, wow, two million people are funding this thing on Kickstarter. Unbelievable. And so, you know, there's a pair of jogging pants that GQ literally made fun of. And they said, men are spending money on jogging pants again to wear in public mm-hmm. at night, you know, on a date. Yeah. And they're kind of making fun of it. And But it generated, they reached their goal of, I think, $50,000 or something. My goodness. But that's because they were claiming it's the universal pant for everything. And they made this phenomenal that's right. video. I remember that. Yeah. And it was very clever. But 
they understood their market. They understood Kickstarter, and we – I don't think our product was right for Kickstarter, mm-hmm. and that was the biggest thing. And so, you know, advice to anyone who's thinking about doing Kickstarter, you know, spend a lot of time planning for your page, but spend even more time understanding how to work the Kickstarter system. There are so many blogs and forums that you can go on to learn what people did right, people did wrong, how to how to generate hits and – and 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 how to drive people to your page but it's you know it's a very different animal than the real consumer world completely wow. different than a real consumer so day 1 after yeah the campaign you guys are like down I- i'm curious do you have to give back that 15,000 uh no you never get it oh you never get it okay you yeah, yeah, yeah. Get it. so it's yeah so if it doesn't get fully funded you don't actually get access to even half of it or whatever. You don't get access to any of it. You either get you either get fully funded or you don't yeah. get funded. If you go on Indiegogo, you get the money. Ah. On Kickstarter, you need to get everything. We did Kickstarter because we knew there were more people on Kickstarter. It was Indie- more pop. Okay. It was more popular. Yeah. So. Okay. Um, so what was that first day like, or maybe the second day? What was that? You know, like how long can you stay "quote unquote" depressed? You, you you can't because you can only – you can make yourself crazy and go, you know what? The first thing you have to do is, is go, you know, we, we gave it a shot and it wasn't a complete – we have to kind of go – because it's really easy when you don't reach your goal to say that you're a failure. Yeah. But we raised $12,500. So we said, hey, there's, you know, 150 people from around the world who – you know, who thought this was interesting and we put some money behind it and we got some interest and we probably, you know, we generated um, – you know, we generated interest in sales in, in what we could have done. And, and, and then, you know, I got a sale off of the Toronto star article. The first one, someone called me up and said, Hey, do you guys do private label stuff? I said, yeah. So we got a private label deal. So that was really cool. Okay. So, uh, you know, uh, uh, he, it was a gentleman, he's a, he's a chiropractor, but he, he trains junior hockey players also. And he goes, yeah, I'd love to order 75 pieces of, you know, put my logo on it. Great. That's it's phenomenal. And so, you know, so we're like, okay, there's some interest. People think this is good. People are we, we got good reviews online from very unbiased bloggers mm-hmm. who, you know, tried on our stuff, ran in it and said it was good. So we had never really done that before. Kickstarter, as much as as, as much as we failed in the literal sense, it was I say we succeeded in really learning more about our business than we knew that we had. That's interesting. So you didn't look at that failure as I don't think we should even be in this business. No. Okay. I never, I, I never, because th- I always, I always believed in the concept. Yeah. I, I really, because I, because I had friends and family and, and people who weren't friends and family wearing my stuff and telling me how great it was. And I would see my, the, the biggest thing was, it's really easy for your friends and family to say they like your stuff sure. and to appease you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah. I would go to the tennis court and I'd see my buddies wearing my shirts and they didn't know I was going to be there. Yeah. It's really easy to be nice to your friend. Okay, I'm playing with Adam today. I'll wear I'm gonna wear stuff. the shirt, make him feel good. But I would see my guy friends wearing the stuff when I wasn't there, and that to me told. And these guys are finicky. They're not. They're not extravagant dressers, but they wear like to wear their cotton shirts that say Tennis Canada on it. Sure, you know. But they were wearing my stuff without me being there, so it meant they liked it. To me, that was almost enough to know that other people would like it. Yeah. So it, it's. But it, it also taught me, you know, we've, it was the first time we ever reached out to press in a real way and did it properly. Hmm. So, oh, there's a way to reach out to press where people might actually like you and try this on and do it. So, you know, stayed, yeah, slightly depressed for a few days, but you kind of had to look at some of the good things. Yeah. You know, so. so yeah, so you got, you got, you got press and, you know, 
getting something written in the Toronto Star is nothing to sneeze at. That yeah, was a big deal. You know, you got uh, somebody call you to to print off to do a a, a big order mm-hmm. uh, for them. Um, I, I think I read somewhere that someone from MLSC also connected. Yeah, well, that was another crazy thing that happened. This is this is what gave us. So so like I said, there was uh, talk about something that when when that article came out, uh, a gentleman uh, who's a chief commercial officer at MLSE sent me a tweet literally saying, hey, great article, where are you guys, are you in any retailers? Oh. And I said, no, we're, well, we're in one retailer. We, we did some private label stuff for a, a small tennis boutique. And I said, I said, no. He says, well, this is great. And by the way, I saw you guys got picked up by some sports journal, really cool, which I didn't even know what had happened. And <laughs> so I saw his name, and then I added in the LinkedIn and said, hey, do you think you'd be able to talk to me if you have 15 minutes of your time? I'd love to see what you think about my company. And I'm curious. And he was nice enough to go, yeah, come by my office. So that happened. So yeah. this was, so like I said, as you're, you know, depressed for so long, but all these other little things are happening mm-hmm. when you're actually getting traction and someone goes, Oh, this is a good idea. And someone who like this gentleman at MLSE who just knows way more about the industry than I ever will. Sure tells you it's good it validates that your idea is good because he sat me down and said you are solving a problem that exists in the market and it's a real problem and i think you're solving it i think this is a good idea but you just need a plan now you need to figure this out and that was enough to give me enough kind of juice to go and and really go after it that's so cool uh, before, before I forget, Charlie's st- still a good friend of yours. Yeah, so one of no, my best friends. No longer in the business. No. What What was that like? You know, him telling you this is not for me. Was it like, you know, breaking up with your girlfriend or we? What not, was that? What was that all about? Not really. I mean, I, I could sense towards the end of the Kickstarter that he just he wasn't really that into it. Okay. He basically said he goes, "I'm just not passionate like you are." And when I when I said I could get funding, it's really what happened is when. When I said I could get, we can get funding for this and do this properly is when he bowed out because he's like, oh, this is real now. Mm. He didn't want it, but it just it, – it's literally because I just don't want don't, – and I had, we had a very candid conversation. And I said, listen, I'm almost 100% sure we can get funding from this person, from this private investor because I've spoken to them. Yeah. And, and he goes – I said, listen, think it over a few days. It was a very honest conversation. And at the end of the day, he said, I just, I'm just not passionate about it. I think you should just buy me out of what I'm doing, and i got to find what I'm really into. And that's all it was. It's a very amicable split. It wasn't like he wanted to do something his way. And not you at all. It had nothing to do with that. It was he wasn't into it. Hmm. It's as simple as that. That's very interesting. Um, yeah, so you meet up with this MLSC guy. He gives you some advice and stuff, um, and, and you grab some funding. What I'm, I'm curious in terms of... You know, you got some press. You you got some uh, uh, some interest in terms of people were were interested in, in funding you slash buying your product. What what did you do from these lessons to then put you in a position where you know you could quit your full time job? Um. Well, oh, so hold on. It's uh, after I got the funding or before? Is two different things. Well, well, let's, let's talk about before. The before the funding was. Yeah. Um, uh, what was I going to say? Uh, I guess what like what were the things that you were that you learned that you said this is this we could really make a go of this oh, you, you know absolutely. outside of knowing that you were going to get some money right um you know you you probably believe that you know if we if we did more of A B and C we're going to get more orders right well so I I think it, it was first of all we needed to expand the line itself okay so that was the first thing is I needed to expand the actual product line because we were selling three different colors of the same shirt. 
And we needed to expand to something that was, you know, people were kept asking us, do you have long sleeve? Do you have sleeveless? You know, so you started you off just shorts, selling T-shirts? You started off just T-shirts. Okay. And that's and everyone go, oh, you have this T-shirt company. And I and it always bugged me when people would say, you have a T-shirt company. So, no, yeah. it's a sportswear company. But it was a T-shirt company because all we did was sell one T-shirt. So we, I, I said, you've got to expand this. And the other thing that I realized, especially after I met the gentleman from MLSE, mm-hmm. is that he goes – you need a plan and you need to not do so many things. And that was the biggest, there's a big revelation for me because during that year and a half that Charlie and I ran the business on the side, we just threw up a bunch of stuff against the wall and hoped something would stick. Mm-hmm. We would, <clears throat> we would do, we would do all these marketing activities that we saw other big brands do, but at a smaller scale, but it didn't make sense for us. And the objectives were all wrong. You know, mm-hmm. we were an online business, but we weren't doing everything we could to drive traffic to the site. You know, we were running events for 15 people, which made no sense because those 15 people were 15 people and they weren't all going to go to the site. And we had women showing up to the events, which wasn't helping, you know, not because we didn't want women, but because we weren't, we just, we didn't, weren't thinking clearly is we need to get people to the website. That's the most important thing. It's the number one objective. Yeah. Forget brand recognition, all these things. Get people to the website so they know it exists. Mm. If you're an online business, you need to get traffic. Yeah. You know, conversion rates 2% at best. So, you know, and we didn't know that. And we didn't like, and so we were trying all these different things. Yeah. And then when I realized we can, we were getting the funding. My first thing was, you know, we have to, okay. The set, the first thing was we have to, I have to expand the line. Second thing is I'm not going to do 10 things this year. I'm going to do four. Okay. So that was probably the, the, one of the biggest revelations, the things that really helped me make the proper plan was to say, I'm only doing these four, five things and that's it. I'm not going to sponsor things. I'm not going to, I'm not going to do events. I'm not going to, uh, you know, uh, I'm not going to uh, to give product away to trainers who want product who aren't actually going to promote the business. They just want product and hope mm-hmm. that they're going to do something. Yeah. So, you know, these are things that, that we did that we thought would help. We're not going to do an ambassador program in hopes that they're going to sell us something that will use their promo code. So we completely stopped that. You know, things that just weren't really doing anything for the business. What were, What did you expand the line to? So from T-shirts. So we expanded the line from T-shirts to, first of all, we expanded the line from, I think, three colors to seven. Okay. So seven colors of it. Uh, expanded to long sleeve. It's a long sleeve hybrid shirt. Basically, okay. that you can wear as a base layer or an outdoor running shirt. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, sleeveless. So kind okay. of your basic cutoff tee. Um, and now in about a month and a half from now, we'll have shorts. Okay. So it's like your bit, your kind of your, I say, I keep saying basic, but it's your, it's kind of your everyday running short that you can wear for running. I wear it for basketball right now. I'm using, we're, I'm testing out the sample to wear it for basketball, tennis, running. You know, it's got two side pockets and a back pocket. So it's kind of good for everything. And that's, yeah. that's what our clothes are supposed to be. Functional. They're supposed to be funk. They're supposed, they're highly, they fit great. They're, but they're very functional. You're supposed mm. to use them for all sports. Right now, we don't have enough capital to get sports specific. Sure. You know, we're not at that, I'm not at that phase yet. Yeah. Eventually I'd like to be, but right now it's it's meant to be for guys like I said who play rec league sports who just no, this is like my universal top. I wear this for everything. That's so cool. And soon soon jogging pants with that GQ can write about you guys. Hopefully, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, hopefully I'll get in listen, I'd love to get into yeah, into, yeah. you know, sweatshirts, sweatpants, things like that. Cool. Um and you said you started focusing on like four marketing tactics. What were those for? So the four. Or what are those? I, I'd for say now? I'd say the mar- some marketing tactics are um, so working with a programmatic media buyer okay. to buy 
online advertising. Yeah. You need to drive people to the site. People have to become aware of the brand. So my right now I'm working with a media buyer who is helping me put my ads all over the web, and they're kind of creating a funnel to figure out where is my consumer, where are they coming from. Um, I'm buying ads on various social media sites. Mm-hmm. So that's the first thing is online media spend. It just, you have to. Yeah. And and people, it's really funny. A lot of people will tell you, and I worked in, in that agency. Yeah. We would always kind of make fun or get upset when we had to do banner ads. Like who clicks on a banner ad? You'd be surprised. Really? A lot of people. Wow. A lot of people come from those ads. Who clicks on a Facebook ad on the side of those little ones? A lot of people. People I clicked click. on, I clicked on my first Facebook ad and bought something. There you go. Less than a month ago, I was like, I did it. <laughs> so we think that those. So as an agency, it's because it's not fun work, but people do click on it, and people that's and, interesting. And people need, and especially when you're a new brand, you got to develop the first three months some sort of brand recognition. Mm-hmm. You got to, and it can't just be all about brand recognition because you're trying to convert people. But that's a real. That's a big part of why I'm I'm spending a very large chunk of my budget, my marketing budget, on online advertising because like i said i'm an online business yeah i'm not spending all that money on billboards first of all because i can't afford it and even if i could i wouldn't um especially in this year which is a very make or break year because i need people to go to the website that's the number one objective get people to the website let them see what the line is about let them go to the website and then read the articles that i put on the website about my company let them see the line let them see what people are saying about the reviews get them to the website and the website URL is is www.athletescollective.com. Dot com. Cool. Um, so that's one. So thing. that's one. Yeah. So the second thing is I'm I'm going to be working uh, at three trade shows. One okay. in Toronto, one in Mississauga, and one in Los Angeles. Okay. So uh, that's a, a, a really big part of what I'm doing. Now the specific trade shows. Yeah, there's specific trade shows because okay. there are so many fitness trade shows from yeah. around the world. Or there's retail trade shows. You got it. So that was a month of research, figuring out where I wanted to be. Um, and so I'm working. So so the LA Fit Show is 14,000 fitness influencers from around the world, okay. half of which are men. Yeah. <clears throat> but it's still good because you're even with with women. I mean, because a lot of them maybe they'll buy for their boyfriends, maybe they'll buy for their husbands, or maybe they'll buy for people they work with. They go, hey, you got to check out this unbranded clothing line. This is really cool. Or maybe they work for a gym and says, hey, our guys would love this. We should put our logo on it. Mm-hmm. So that's one that's very specific because it's because because I don't, let's say, have the funds to reach serious celebrity influencers. These fitness influencers or fitness professionals, really, they're all trainers from around the world who come to this show called the LA Fit Show, the Idea Fit Show as it's called. And they try to see what the latest and greatest is, and I'm hoping to be that. It's going to be a new brand that they've that's never so seen cool. before. So that's a three-day show that I'm going out there for. Yeah. Um, I'm doing the CanFit Pro, which is in Toronto, mm-hmm. and I'm doing the Mississauga Marathon, which, okay. which attracts 25,000 people. So wow. that's a huge – that's a really big part of, of what I'm doing this year um, in terms of getting out to the public so they can feel and see and touch. So that will generate – not only – I'm hoping that will generate buzz, yeah. but obviously it's going to generate revenue because you can sell shirts there. Okay. So it's – when people touch – because it's one thing when you go online, you go, I don't really know what the quality is going to be. Yeah. And people can feel and touch, then they can take home. And, then, and these are the kinds of people who are more so on social media who will, you know – Talk about it. Yeah. Reaching those influencers is important because my actual, the people who are buying from me now, they are unlike the people who are waiting in line for Jordans, aren't getting their Jordans taking, because they're going to get their Jordans, take a picture of it and post it everywhere. Yeah. People who buy my t-shirts are going to buy it and wear it and that's it. Yeah. So it's one of the toughest parts about Interesting. in the generation, in, in this 
world we live in where everyone is talking about everything they buy, my target market doesn't do that. Yeah. So it's what a lot of brands are now relying on. And a lot of fashion brands are doing a good job, especially startup fashion brands, because they've got a 50,000 Instagram followers because they post everything that they do on Instagram. My target market doesn't do doesn't that. Doesn't do that, no. They don't go, oh, I got this great new T-shirt. They don't do that. <laughs> so going to these shows is a way to generate that kind of buzz of people who might do that. That's so But cool. also I'll be able to generate revenue from it. Yeah. So there's that. I mean, I'm uh, one of the things I'm doing is I'm trying to uh, – so I'll be introducing every month um, – a new design for our shirts. It's called the D series. Okay. So this is the third is the sort third of tactic. Yeah. Okay. So there might only be three actually the, of the main ones that, that okay. we're doing. Yeah. Um, uh, and I'll try to think of the last one. <laughs> so the D series. Um, so the D series is yeah. a big part of it because um, as much as my, our shirts are all, they're basic. There's nothing on them, you know? And so it's, 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 it's it, and that's was the point of it. But, one of the things we found is when are we, you wearing one of your shirts? Uh, no, not right now. Okay. <laughs> because I know because I wear and people always say, "How come you're not wearing your gear?" I said, "Because my stuff is sportswear, and okay. I don't wear sportswear when I'm out Fair of, enough. unless you know it's on the weekend. I'm wearing track pants and my shirt, and I'm going to the gym. Yeah. yeah. So that's um, you know that's the, it's listen. It's one of the other tough things because people say, "Oh, you have to be a brand ambassador always. You have to always be wearing your stuff." I said, "Well, my stuff is sportswear. It's very different. I'm not Fair in enough. the athleisure market yeah, like yeah. Lululemon is. Very different. That's true. Hmm. So." So yeah, so I'm so the D series. Yeah. What, what I'm what I'm really excited about it is because Charlie and I. One of the things we did is we put a few different sayings on it, and we would put we had like hashtag hustle or run period or athlete, and we and we tried we experimented with that. So on the in, shirt. in printing, yeah, doing screen prints on it, okay. just to give it a little bit more personality, and it was and it worked to a certain extent. But I said, you know what, it's a lot like that tactic is very much like Nike. Nike does that more than anyone else is they'll put sayings like yes. like call, like a one of their shirts uh a tennis shirt is always causing a racket. And they always they have those little like like hustle your brain out or whatever yeah. it is. And so one of the things I'm doing this year is doing really small screen prints working with designers that I know and hopefully other designers around local designers around Toronto to just give little accents to the shirts to make them appear more technical. Because our shirts are, while they are technical shirts that mm-hmm. moist, that that wick away fabric, that wick away sweat through the fabric, it doesn't have the they don't have those really sharp lines and different. You know, I'm not mixing different fabrics to make it look highly technical. Yeah. yeah. But realizing that not everyone wants just a plain T-shirt, and mm-hmm. so by introducing these kind of limited runs, goes oh, you know, for guys who maybe don't want just something so basic, you know, it has a little bit more personality. Because, you know, I'm wearing the D-Series a lot more now because I like something with a little bit more personality because I've got some personality. Interesting. So sometimes I want to wear something basic. Sometimes I want to wear something that has a little bit more personality. Yeah. So that's that's part of it. So, I mean, I'm, I'm going to be introducing one in about two weeks from now uh, called the Fast Forward where there's a small kind of fast forward button on the chest and then it leads to another fast forward button on the sleeve. So it's just these little things that when you look at oh, that's kind of a cool design, I would wear that. And so it's it, it expands the line without having to cost a lot of money. Interesting. So that's a big a big part of it. So instead of saying because every time I make shirts, I have to do a run of two hundred to four hundred shirts. Okay. Which is very costly. Yeah. But by doing this, okay, a buck and a half shirt more, no problem. And yeah. then I can and then I can give it a little more personality and expands the line. That is so cool. Um, is there is and is there a fourth one? <laughs> I'd have, I I there's there, there there's a lot of stuff written down. Those are the three. Those are the main, three main ones. Those right? are the th- those are really the three the three well, main ones. And well, then, like your your mentor said, you know, it's, uh, you got to focus, right? Yeah, and that's and that's really what it is. I mean, the fourth one is really developing content 
for the website that makes it sure. a little bit more interesting. Yeah. So is the, the way I'm reaching out to uh, consumers to try to get them involved in the website is we've created I've created a pretty unique fit page with the help of my designer and developers, whereby I don't know if you if you ever shop online, I always have trouble figuring out what size I am in an online store because yeah. you'll look at the model, you have no idea how big the model is, and you have no idea what size they are. So not only do we say how tall the model is, what waist size they are, what build they are. Ah, you know, that's interesting. But what we've done is the fit page is, is basically uh, one of the things we do <clears throat> when you order a package from us is we include old school trading cards as a fun thing for when guys get it. It kind of puts a smile on their face and it reminds them when they were a kid. I, I challenge any guy to open up a pack of 1992 Fleer hockey cards and not get excited by the guys that they're seeing on the cards. Mm. So it's kind of a fun thing that I include. It's like, you know, sports are supposed to be fun. That's and it so kind of neat. elevates the brand experience when you open the box a little yeah. bit. It's, it's a lot of fun. So what I've done is I created trading cards for me and all of my friends or some of my consumers. And basically what you can do is you can rifle through the trading cards and it gives you their stats. So it'll go and say, if there's a picture of me, it says, okay, Adam is 32 years old. He plays basketball and tennis. Um, and, He's 5'8", he weighs 185 pounds, he's a size 30 waist, and he wears a, a size medium. So you can go, oh, I kind of look like Adam, or I look like I'm you know my size, friend Jeff, yeah. or Garth, or whatever it is. Oh. These are all people who are on the site right now, yeah. and you can go, oh, I, I would, it, oh, size large, I'm kind of like that guy. Okay, so now I can, so, so, so I can kind of fit myself. So those, that's kind of, that's one of the th- ways I'm trying to engage my consumers without it being overly, oh, you should share this with anyone. Because yeah. it's always cool to have your own sports card because we've always wanted one, you know, if you've ever played that's sports. That's really kind of interesting. That's really, really interesting. Um, I, I, know, I know I don't have too, too much time with you, uh, but I wanted to ask you this, and, and, and I think you've, you've talked about this uh, in the past in terms of um, the importance of advisors and the value of mentorship. Um, you know, how has that helped your, your business? And, 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 you know, if there's any advice you would give to, you know, other, um, you know, budding entrepreneurs about, you know, uh, mentorship and advisors. I mean, I think it's really important. You got to – right now I don't have a boss. I'm running the show. And I know I don't know everything. And there's, it's a, lo- a lot of people, a lot of entrepreneurs, they go on on their own because they said, I can do it better than everybody. But whether or not that's true, you still need people who to give, <clears throat> to give you advice who just know more. Yeah. And I think it's very, very important. Just, and just to be able to bounce ideas off of them, mm-hmm. especially if you're alone, you don't have a partner. Um, to bounce ideas off someone who knows more than you about an industry and who can steer you in a direction and tell you, Maybe, maybe not because, listen, you can either take their advice or, or you don't have to, but it's always good to listen to what they have to say, especially if you're going to make a big decision because then they'll ask you questions you're probably not thinking about, and they just know more. You know, it's always good to solicit advice from people who know more than you. I mean, I have a nasty habit of talking a lot and not always listening, but with my mentors and my advisors, when they talk, I stop talking. Hmm. I ask them questions. They give me advice. What should I do? What would you do? Yeah. And you gotta listen. Um, you know, I. It's one thing. Yeah, I always had this chip on my shoulder about my bosses, especially the ones I didn't respect maybe as much, or I didn't. Re- I thought they were they weren't in the company's best interest or in their clients' best interest, and they just had egos. But there was a lot of times where you know, so so that was that was my kind of chip on my shoulder. Yeah. But the people who are now my advisors. 
I fully respect them because I've basically chosen them because I know that they know more than me. And it's, it's kind of a respect thing. So, I mean, because I respect them, I believe that they're looking out in my best interest, that they're not steering me. I mean, we'll not butt heads, but we'll go back and forth on a, on a topic and say, oh, maybe you shouldn't. Why are you including these sports cards? And, and then I'll explain it and I'll go, okay, I, I get it now. Makes sense. Mm-hmm. I just didn't understand. Yeah. Okay, I get it. But here's something you got to think about, et cetera, et cetera. But I, I think it's vitally important to have mentors and have advisors who can give you unbiased advice. That's the kind of the most important thing because if you go to your, let's say your family yeah. or your friends for advice, they're going to think they know you and they're going to think they understand your business better than you do. Yeah. And they're not going to give you, they're going to give you advice on what they think you should do as a, like, I know you, I know what you're going to do. Yeah. Whereas your advisor is going to give you you know, just professional advice. Yeah. They can look beyond you as a person. They could look at your business and what's in the best interest of the business. Do you have an official board or are these sort of people that... No, I have know? an advisory board. I've got... Oh, you do? I, okay. I've, I've, I have an advisory board. I've got the gentleman on uh, from MLSE. I have yeah. my PR advisor. Okay. And I have a, uh, I ha- and I have a financial advisor who's who's, so who's, who's who's helping me with who hopefully in about six to eight months from now when I hopefully can go after Series A funding really understands what I need to do and the things I need to keep track of. And every and I talk to him every month and he says, OK, make sure you have this these kind of numbers because financial people you're going to want to go after for serious dough. They're going to want to know this or they're going to want to know that they're going to want to know what you're you know, what not just what your profit margin, but what's your plan going forward? How are you forecasting? You know, and all these things that I just don't think of. Or, oh, are you thinking of going into retail, Adam? Well, d- make sure that you're with, with some of these guys. You deal with what their credit's going to be. Mm-hmm. Oh, what do you mean your what's their credit's going to be? And he explains it. Okay, I didn't understand that. So, you know, so those are the things. There's still a lot that I don't know. Yeah. You know, I can only do what I know, but that's why why I have an advisory board who can give me advice that is just. Just things that I that I'd never be able to know on my own. That's so cool. So come fall time, we we should expect to hear some news about uh, some some funding. I hope so. Yeah. I, I hope. I mean, this these next few these next you know until the end of the summer, I have a lot of different activities that are going on. You know, you, you talk. Uh, one of the other big activities is I'm sponsoring a podcast, which is one of the biggest sports podcasts in the world. Wow. And uh, yeah, so it's a it's a it's a calculated risk. But it's 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 part of the budget that wasn't there about four months ago. But now it's there because I really believe that it's going to give it a big boost. And what's the name of this so, podcast? So so it's uh, if any of you are sports fans, it's uh, Bill Simmons. Oh. So so yeah. So I've kind of uh, I, I've I've worked with his media buyers who are going to be promoting my message. And what's great is I get to send him talk about. And one of my my advisor at MLSC said, you know, you got to get to the right influencers. And he said, I'm not talking about pro athletes you got to get to the right people and this is definitely one of the right guys i get to send him product that i get to awesome. hopefully talk to him and so you know having him potentially like my shirts my shorts whatever that my accessories is a very big boost so those are that's one of the you know probably the fourth big thing that i'm doing this year is it's you know taking these calculated risks on certain media buys that yeah. i think will yield um a, a, a big reward that is awesome I, I look forward to this journey uh, this year um, with with what you guys are putting together. Um, anything you wanted to uh, chat about or, or, or let me know before we uh, shut this thing off? Um, I'd say, I mean, listen, if you got, uh, like I said, if there's anyone out there looking for good sportswear, that's, uh, you know, our stuff is, I'd say about 30 to 40% less than what you'll find from the big guys. Um, 
we're introducing shorts in about, like I said, about a month uh, from now. Uh, we introduced accessories, wristbands, uh, about three weeks ago. Um, and there'll be things added to the site every week. There's going to be new things. And, I mean, if there's – I. I I'm, I'm kind of repeating what I said maybe in the Star article a bit, but one of the biggest things that really helped as a, uh, an entrepreneur is a lot of people will – I had someone say, oh, did you, what was your business plan with, with your partner when you started? I said, we didn't really have one. Yeah. We just made the product and saw what we would do. So you didn't have a business plan. How could you not have a business plan to start, which, which is tough because, because, first of all, we had no idea what we were going to be. Yeah. So – and there's a my favorite quote from Kevin Plank, who's the founder of Under Armour, and said, and he said, uh, uh, you know, I see all these entrepreneurs are always making plans, and they got to make the product and see if it sells. He goes, put the friggin' pen down and go make something. So if you have an idea, that quote is in a photo. It's in a photo, literally. Yeah, it's my favorite quote from him because it kind of solidified what we did, whether or not it was the right way to go. We didn't have the plan. Now I have a very serious business plan that I'm following day to day, week to week, month to month. Yeah. Um, but at the beginning. People are so concerned with, you know, well, what are we going to do in six months from now? You don't even have a product yet. Go make the product. Go make the service. See what it can be. Test it out. People are afraid to test things out because Mm -hmm. people might not like it. And that's a scary thought for a lot of people. But if you have an idea and maybe a little bit of money, if it costs you a few hundred bucks, go spend it and see. Make the product. If it's a product, go make the product. Go make your T-shirt. Go make your sweatpant. Go make your headband, whatever it is. And do your screen print, whatever whatever it is you want to do, go and make it and test it and see if it can be something. And a lot of people don't want to do that. The scary thing of leaving your job is a whole nother thing, and I can't tell people to do that. Yeah. Um, I mean, I have a very fortunate position that I got funding and able to do that. But uh, if you don't find out what your product's going to be and if people like it, you'll never see if you can do it. I mean, I'm happier than I've ever been doing this. Yeah. It's... I'm excited every day, and I'm scared out of my mind every day. Absolutely. Like, people think every entrepreneur is like this uber-confident, like, I'm confident guy, but there are times where I'm like, uh, is this the right thing? I don't know. So <laughs> You're shaking inside and saying, this better work. Sometimes you're like, this yeah, better work, or you sure. don't see sales for a couple of days, and you yeah. call, you know, I don't see, you know, I see a lot of traffic on my site, and no one's no one's buying anything for two days. I call my developer, and I'm all scared. He's like, Adam, you got to calm down. It's it's one day on, one day off. And you're in control, right? It's not like, you know, you work hard at, you know, before where you used to work, and you don't know whether you're going to move ahead or not. And that was the biggest thing. That's That was my biggest gripe with working in the places I worked, I learned a ton from them. So I don't want to discount what I learned. I learned an absolute ton, Mm -hmm. but I didn't like being reliant on people to move up in the world who basically had control over my life. And I ended up having to do things I didn't want to do or I didn't agree with because they were in control of my livelihood. So that was kind of the thing that I... Uh, it's what I'm liking a lot better now is I'm, listen, if I, if I succeed, it's because of, of myself and the people who are helping me. If I fail, it's on me. It's yeah. not because a boss didn't like me or sure. because I butted heads with a boss or I wasn't good at inter-office politics, which I was not. Yeah, totally get that. <laughs> so, Adam, thank you so much. No, thanks for, for having me. Yeah. Go to athletescollective.com and uh, check it out and go buy something. Let's support some Canadian entrepreneurs. Thanks a lot, Adam. Thanks.